and welcome to the 21st episode of Outside the Screen, a podcast all about screens in the lives of children and families. I'm law professor and child rights advocate Liz Hansley. And I'm child psychiatrist and stand-up comedian Dr. Kim Lee. We're bringing you the podcast because we know just how hard it is to raise kids in a technology-centric world and we want to help. So, what have we got lined up for this episode, Liz? Today on the show, you're going to hear a review of a delightful animated fantasy based on a German fairy tale. And we're going to do some thinking about how to get children the benefits of Australian content. But first up, we've got... Paper Round, our regular segment where we look at the research that's coming out, demystify it so that you can better inform your family's decisions about how you engage with screens. Today, we're discussing some research out of China about active parental mediation of adolescent internet use. If you're not sure what parental mediation is, it could change your life, so stay tuned. As Kim said, today in Paper Round, we're looking at some research out of China about adolescents' problematic internet use and the role of parental mediation. Kim, why'd they do this research? Well, this study looks at the constant battle some parents go through in policing their child's internet use and the effect their relationship has with their child, which is a very common problem for modern-day families. Hmm. Yes, indeed. So how do they do the research? They surveyed over 500 middle school students from China, average age of 13, using various surveys to test for problematic internet use mm-hmm. and their relationship with their parents and the likelihood of them hiding any risky online behaviours. Yeah, I think that was an important thing that was different about this study, that they were talking about hiding of internet behaviours. and I gather that's a bit of a thing, isn't it? Yeah, well, in terms of this relationship, basically, if you have a positive relationship with your child and you are actively trying to guide their internet use, this is protective and your child is less likely to hide online behaviours from you because... They don't really need to. They're not really engaging in risky behaviors and don't feel the need to hide anything from you because they feel safe. Okay. So active parenting is having a conversation with your child, mm-hmm. having a proactive role in guiding your child's use of the internet in a sensible way. Mm-hmm. This involves establishing ground rules and encouraging open communication. Mm-hmm. Active parenting involves parents making a guided choice on how their kids use the internet in a rational and secure manner, you know, setting some limits. Mm. This involves establishing ground rules and it's important to create a family environment that supports respect, resilience and cohesiveness. So teens can feel and have a good sense of these relationships which can then assist them to develop positive emotional regulation, self-regulation, maintenance of real-life friendships, effective communication with people in their lives and enhance their ability to cope with a wide range of risks and challenges challenges in life, including those associated with internet use. Hmm. Okay. They found the more positive the relationship, the less likely your child would hide any negative behaviours. And teenagers hiding their online behaviors are usually due to their desire for some independence. Mm-hmm. You know, they want some freedom away from any parental authorities mm. as they transition through life. At the same time, they anticipate that excessive internet use or engaging in certain online behaviors 
can result in parental discipline and your parents shutting down or you know, locking mm-hmm. your devices down. So there is some potential gains that kids might have by hiding these behaviors because mm-hmm. they know they might get in trouble. So as a consequence, opting to hide their online activities becomes a, a more of a a self-decision based on these factors. And also now you've got lots of different types of technologies that can help you to conceal your tracks. So, for example, a young person this week told me how they would wait for their parents to leave the house or go outside in the shed and they'd lock themselves in their bedroom and then do whatever they need to do online and then hide their internet search history. So, Mm. you know, hiding their tracks because they worried they might get in trouble. Mm. And so often parents tell me how hard it is to constantly supervise or police or detect their child's Mm. online activities. So another parent of mine says they can um, track what their child is doing on their school laptop whilst they're at school because they've got a software called Custodial. They pay a subscription and they know that their child is, you know, looking at Discord or chatting online whilst Mm. in class. Hmm. And that must also be something to do with the way that the school laptop is set up, that they can't hide their tracks on that laptop Yeah, or which something. is not something that is across the board. Was there anything surprising about the findings? Well, that- yeah. I mean, it was a very boring manual way of sending out surveys to these schools, getting mm-hmm. kids with pen and paper to fill out all these forms. And mm-hmm. 20% of the survey respondents were invalid. Like kids were either not filling out all the questions or just filling out a a a a a and just they had to get rid of those ones as a, well, as yeah, a yeah. quality control measure. Huh. And so you got to wonder, what was it about those 20% of kids? Were they kids that were more likely to do risky behaviors? Were they kids mm. that had parents that were negligent or, you know, not yeah. doing basic supervision? I wonder if those were the kids who were just in too much of a hurry to get back online. Yeah. <laughs> so just wanted to get it over with quickly. Yeah. And also it didn't really explore the parents' point of view, which is, you know, mm. a big factor in this whole study. Yeah, that was something that surprised me, that you're doing something about parental mediation, but you're only talking to kids. How do you know really what's going on if you're only getting one side of the story? So that's a reservation that you have about the study. Will the finding affect your practice in any way as a psychiatrist, do you think? Well, to be honest, it was a very convoluted way to explain some straightforward parenting ideas in mm-hmm. 15 pages. Yeah. And unfortunately, it won't change my practice too dramatically. But I think it's useful to be aware that kids naturally will hide their mm. behaviours based on what is right and wrong and their mm. awareness of how the internet can be policed by their parents. Mm. Yeah, well, it strikes me, well, you know, certainly I remember enough of about my own adolescence to know that was just kind of natural to hide stuff from my parents. You know, like you said, you just want to get some independence. You just don't want them to know everything. And, and also you want to do things that you know they'll disapprove of and so on. And that's natural too. And yet when there are things that are really risky, you do want kids to be able to go to their parents and say, oh, you know, this happened or I saw that or something. And um, we want to have that kind of relationship of trust and warmth between parents and kids that kids feel able to talk to their parents when something happens that they find troubling. And um, that's something that we've known for a while. And I gather this research more or less just reinforces that idea, is it? Yeah. Just have that good, solid two-way relationship and conversation and then yeah. a lot of good things will flow from it. Yeah, I think uh, there are lots of parenting programs out there, mm. parent training programs. There's, you know, Triple P, Positive Parenting Program. Mm-hmm. There's Circle of Security, widely available and usually for free. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And they all seem to have that bottom line of communication. Yeah. You know, Meeting kids where they're at, understanding why they do the things yep. they do and so on. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for that. Well, we've just discussed a paper that might not have added terribly much to what we knew, but it certainly reminded us of what we do know about the importance of warm and authoritative parenting. The paper was by Jingjing Liu, Li Wu, Jun Sun, Ku Bai, and Chang Ying Duan. And the title is Active Parental Mediation and Adolescent Problematic Internet Use, The Mediating Role of Parent-Child Relationships and Hiding Online Behaviour. It was published in the journal Behavioural Sciences. Full details in the show notes. And now it's time for our movie review. And Carmen is going to tell us why Moonbound is recommended for kids six and up. Hi, I'm Carmen Kay and I'm here with some information from the CMA review of Moonbound. I'll tell you what the movie is about and what elements led the reviewers to recommend the film for children 6 and up, as well as some suggestions for things in the movie you might want to discuss with your kids. Based on the children's classic fairy tale, Little Peter's Journey to the Moon, by German author and playwright Gerd von Bassewitz. Moonbound tells the story of Mr. Zoom the Man, a now elderly Junebug. Mr. Zoom the Man has spent his whole adult life searching for brave humans who have never hurt any animals to help him retrieve what he lost many years ago. When a mean thief cut down his home, a big beautiful birch tree, Mr. Zoom the Man asked the night fairy to help. The night fairy banished the thief and two accomplices to the moon, tragically, along with the birch tree of one of Mr. Zoomzerman's arms and his newly wife, Miss Zoomzerman. When Mr. Zoomzerman meets young Anne and her brother Peter, he knows he has found the chosen humans and together they venture on a fantastic journey to the stars to stop the evil moonman once and for all and to retrieve Mr. Zumzeman's arm, the birch tree, and his lost love. There is some violence in this movie, including by the selfish, ill-intentioned Woodsie, who later becomes Moon Man. He ruthlessly cuts down the bug's home, he destroys the heavenly shooting star school, he kidnaps Anne and the shooting stars, and makes them work in a factory, and he fires a cannon on the Night Fairy's palace, with the intention of destroying her and ruling over the universe. In addition to these violent scenes, there is some content in the movie that could scare or disturb children under the age of five, including the information that Anne and Peter have lost their father in a space shuttle accident, the pressure on Anne and Peter to return home before sunrise or they may never be able to do so, and the appearance of the villain, the wood thief slash moon man, and his vicious dogs. There's some use of substances in the movie, and some mild coarse language, including idiot, smart ass, dumbass, and dog. Moonbound is a sweet adaption of the Basavitz classic story of two brave and selfless young children who go on a fancy journey to help a little animal friend. 
It's true, there are some clichés. For example, a spirited, playful little sister who annoys her more sincere older brother. A gang of bullies who pick on the new kid at school. A ruthless villain who seeks vengeance and wants to rule the universe. And his two rather dumb and clumsy henchmen. However, the movie features relatable, funny and quirky characters and positive role models and contains a heap of positive messages. The pace of the movie is quick and the storyline complex, so very young children may lose track or interest. Because of that and due to some sad, scary themes such as facing an evil villain, leaving home, losing loved ones, etc., the movie is most suitable for a family audience with children over four, with parental guidance for children aged four to five. The main messages from this movie are that it is important to look out for one another, to be persistent and to follow one's dreams. Values in this movie that parents might wish to reinforce with their children include family cohesion and friendship, kindness, courage and resourcefulness. This movie could also give parents the opportunity to discuss with their children the fact that mean and rude behavior makes you unpopular. The plot also supports the idea that it's never too late to make good choices and to make up for past mistakes. Moonbound is available on a popular streaming service and CMA reviews recommend it for children aged 6 and up. Parental guidance for 4 to 5 year olds. There is a more detailed review of this and hundreds of other movies on the CMA webpage. And when Carmen talks about the CMA website, that's www.childrenandmedia.org.au. You can find the reviews by clicking on the Movie Reviews tab and then you can sort the list or search. A number of different ways. You can do it by title, alphabetically, by age suitability, by classification or by date added. All of the reviews are prepared by people with training in child development and they cover every GNPG title released in Australian cinemas since 2002 when we started the service. We've also included some selected M-rated movies when we thought that one of those was being promoted to kids and we've started doing pre-2002 movies that are available on streaming services, so the old classics. The website also has reviews of game-style apps and apps that may appeal to young children. Again, it's www.childrenandmedia.org.au. You might also like to join the CMA Facebook community at facebook.com forward slash Australian Council on Children in the Media, all one word. More details later on how to keep in touch and give feedback. Now it's time for Policy Corner. Liz and I are going to take any excuse to talk about Australian Kids TV and how important it is. Well, my favourite childhood TV show from Australia would have been Play School. Yeah. You know, run of the mill play school. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother would also pay me out because I, you know, had a, a crush on Monica and uh, I was only four at the time. I was like, wow, that lady's so amazing. And, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, learned a lot about the way uh, Australians 
think and behave um, sure. through those okay, TV shows. Yeah. Probably learned a lot of English, probably. Yeah, okay. So you spoke Vietnamese at home yes. and you didn't have much exposure to no. Anglo-Australian culture no. otherwise. Yeah, I mean, that, that's potentially a really powerful thing, I think. Um, what about you, Liz? Uh, well, look, I also watch Play School. I think Play School had its 50th anniversary a few years back and I realised that I was the exact age that was the first viewer right, cohort you were the guinea pigs. Of, uh, of Play School. Yeah, definitely used to watch that, just loved it. So many things about that show I loved. I also used to watch Romper Room on uh, okay. Channel 7 and uh, there was this section at the end of Romper Room where the lady who is the leader of the, the show, always missed someone or other, would look through a magic mirror and then say a whole lot of kids' names. So mm. say, you know, I see you. And then she'd rattle off all these names and there was never an Elizabeth. Oh, never, ever, wow. ever. Yes, I was always very disappointed about that. So what else? Oh, magic Circle Club was another one that was really great. It was really... Agro's Cartoon Connection for me, I think. Oh, or yeah. Cheese TV, yeah. Right, yep, yep. And then for my kids, my younger daughter especially really, really loved H2O. Just um, It's a, a live action show about these girls on the Gold Coast who turn into mermaids. Yeah, yeah. Is that what it was called? I thought it was Ocean Hunter or Ocean Girl. Was it? Uh, might be a different show entirely. Mm, okay. But yeah, this one was definitely um, H2O, Just Add mm. Water. And, and yeah, she really loved that. And it was very good. Round the Twist was another good uh, one. Look, I was going to mention Round the Twist. Yeah. And my story about Round the Twist is that it was a little bit early for my kids, but I'd heard it was really good. And I saw a box set and bought it for, oh, one yeah. of them for Christmas yep. once. And so we had the DVDs as a box set and they watched them and, and loved yep. them. And then years later... Some neighbours of ours had kids and mm. they used to come over and, you know, I'd you know, help look after the kids in the afternoon and I would show them round the twist uh, and they loved it too. Yep. And these are kids who are like, you know, 20 years later, right. 30 years later. Yeah, so there's a generational uh, yeah. commonality. Yeah, well, it was just proof of what a brilliant show it was that well, these kids... It's all from... based on Paul Jennings' books, right? Right. Yeah, I was a big fan of uh, the unmentionable, unbelievable, unreal right. series. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, so Round the Twist is something that will be at the top of pretty much any list that anybody gives of the great Australian TV shows. So, yeah, we've had quite a lot of them. And a lot of these things, for example, I mentioned H2O just had water and there's a number of others that were produced for the commercial free-to-air quota for children's programming. So it's been abolished a couple of really? years ago. Yeah, oh. so there was a quota for many, many years where commercial free-to-air channels had to show a certain number of hours of dedicated right. children's viewing. And it wasn't just dedicated children's viewing. It had to meet certain criteria. It had to yeah. um, enhance children's experience and have high production values and so on. So that was why you got these really very slick, very lovely-looking um, right. TV shows. But they were very hard to find. Nobody knew where they were because they were always scheduled at unpopular times. Yeah, well, that explains why Channel 9 came to my school and plucked myself and my friends to go on a game show to be yeah. filmed in North Adelaide. Right. Um, it was yep. called Guess What? And we recorded it when I was in year four and they didn't show it until, you know, when I was in year 10, like in high school. So it was like, you know, five, that, six years apart. That's fascinating. Yes, well, that would have been part of that quota because mm. they're always well, – often were game shows that were made using Australian kids and, yeah. and, um, and Australian questions and so on. And that would meet the criteria for the ah, quota. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's a relatively inexpensive format. 
to yep. produce because yeah. you don't have to have script writers, you yep. don't have to have costumes and so on. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So that was one of the things that they did. But anyway, there's no quota anymore. So why did we have quotas for kids TV? Ultimately, it's because the government and the society generally thought that free-to-air TV stations had an obligation to the community. That, okay, they were there to make money, they sold advertising to make money and that's fine, but they also had privileged access to a public resource, being the airwaves, and in return they should do things that weren't necessarily money-making for them but were good for the community. And serving the child audience was one of those things that... If you just have an advertising model, then you're not terribly interested in children or certainly in the past when all of this was coming about. You weren't terribly interested in children because children didn't didn't have much money. They didn't get to make purchasing decisions. So they weren't people that you wanted to advertise to. And so it was hard to get advertising revenue to support a children's show. And so the government just said, well, look, you know, too bad. You have to have children's shows, so just do it. And so that was the way that it worked for many, many years. But as I said, what tended to happen was that they would get these shows and then they would schedule them at times when the child audience wasn't likely to be Mm. very big. They wouldn't promote them very much. Yeah. And also over time, I'm still not sure how this worked, but they worked it so that they only paid a very small amount to the producers. Like They would buy these programs from production companies, but they would only pay a very small amount. And the production companies had to make up the rest of the money by going overseas. Yeah. And so that was why you would have these shows that looked like a travelogue for Australia. Mm. And yeah, they were sort of trying to show Australian scenes to Australian kids, but they also looked very much like promoting Australia overseas because the the shows were being sold overseas. And also there were some shows that were made where it was actually a co-production with, say, Canada. So one of the main characters would be Canadian and have a Canadian accent, but they still met the criteria. Mm. So anyway, that was kids' programming generally, but what we're interested in now is the whole thing of Australian content. There's always been a quota for Australian content and that does still exist and it's being debated now. So the Australian angle, why is that important? Can't just our kids watch TV that was made in the US or British TV? They can and they do, uh, but there's a strong view and our cultural policy backs this up that Australian children have a need and a right to hear Australian voices, to see Australian scenes, Australian culture, you know, examples being things like in Australia, children have to wear hats in the playground. That doesn't happen in other countries. So if the only TV shows or the only programs they ever see are of kids running around in playgrounds without hats, then they're going to sort of feel pretty weird when they go to school and have to wear a hat. Now that, that's a very sort of basic, banal example. But you can take that to different levels as well, where just it's good for children to feel that sense of belonging and that sense of understanding. And I think it's really interesting what you said before, Kim, too, about you know, growing up in a Vietnamese family in Australia, how watching TV can give you that window to help you understand yep. the society that you're living in and that you're going to be growing up in and seems to have worked out okay for you. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah, well, certainly in my own experience, a lot of uh, migrant families, refugee families benefit from shows like Play School and The Wiggles and mm. and practicing how to sing songs. Certainly my, my daughter loves um, going to the library and singing not just typical Australian songs, but also in the local Ghana language. You know, ah, they, they cool. Sing, um, 
the Nina Marnie song and nice. and oh, things like that. So lovely. they're getting exposure to different types of cultures and I think Sesame Street was specifically designed for poorer families that would be falling behind in terms of numeracy and literacy and um, forms a level playing field. Yes, that's right. So anyway, we've now got this Swinburne University study that's come out recently and it finds that the shows adults remember are cheeky or edgy. So it asked a number of adults, and adults of quite different ages too, what Australian kids' TV shows they remembered, and they said they were cheeky or edgy. That was something that sort of set them apart from the other shows that they watched. And, and I think that seems true in my experience as well. Certainly, if you think of Round the Twist, for example, that was pretty edgy. Yeah. There was some pretty out there stuff. Um, anyway, it also shows, this study, that lots of Australian adults revisit shows from their childhood online. And also quite a few use Australian TV to help others to understand our culture. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So is there a downside to this? Look, mostly that they don't necessarily work the way they're supposed to. Like I said before, industry doesn't like them and will find ways around them. So as I said, under the previous quotas, there was a high level of foreign investment needed mm. and they were very poorly promoted. So that's... Not really a downside to quotas, but I suppose it's a reservation that we can have about quotas that they won't necessarily play out the way that you hope. Yeah. Are the free-to-air quotas a great loss considering how much kids are watching on the internet these days? Well, look, you know, there are equity issues. There are kids out there who don't have access to the internet, but they do have access to -to free-to-air TV, so they're missing out. And quality content does need to be produced somewhere. And TV is the obvious place for it to start. And then a lot of stuff that's on TV then ends up on online, which is great. So having some sort of attention to what goes on on TV can sort of affect the ecosystem more generally. The government does have this new cultural policy uh, where they're moving to impose quotas on streaming services. I read through as much as I could and I couldn't work out whether kids programming will be a separate factor in all of that. But there will certainly be an Australian quota. Well, they're certainly planning to have an Australian quota on streaming services. Yep. So it's not just um, free-to-air TV. Yeah. So what can we expect all of this to look like in, say, another five years? Well, if I had a crystal ball, um, I'd say the ABC will keep making quality content because that's in their DNA. That could change, I suppose. would be very upset if it did. But they'll keep on making quality content. And that content will find its way onto other platforms. So it will be available on YouTube or streaming or different platforms. The streaming giants, they're always referred to as giants in all of these documents. They will have made some content too, but it's very hard to say how much or of what quality. We we know they have the capacity to make really good stuff, but uh, we know that that could change or... I'd say the people who looked at the children's quota when it was first introduced would have had great hopes and there was going to be all this wonderful stuff and children watching it and it didn't work out that way, so we can't really say. Mm. What can listeners do if they want to make sure that there is plenty of good Australian programming for kids on streaming services? Well, Children and Media Australia, the organisation that I'm president of, is very active on these issues and I think probably the best thing for anybody to do would be to support us. Not just because the more support we have, the more we can do, but the more support we have, the more we can tell government and industry, look, people out there really care about that because they're contacting us, because they're supporting us to be taking action. 
You can always write directly to your MP and so on or, or your local senators. Um, you know, go for it if you've got the energy to do that, but uh, you might find it simpler and quicker to just uh, give an organisation like CMA some support to act on your behalf. Well, that's about all we have time for today. Yes, that's a wrap for episode 21. We'd really love to have your feedback, so please get in touch. If you're a subscriber on Substack, you can leave a comment there. Otherwise, you can contact us through Facebook or Instagram. Just search for Outside the Screen Pod, all one word. Or you can email us at outsidethescreenpod at gmail.com. You can also catch up on all things gaming addiction related on my website, cgiclinic.com. And there's also a way for you to book an appointment to see me to assess you and your child. Or if you really like us, you can help by subscribing to the show on your listening platform and or on Substack. It's worth doing both because on Substack you get an email when a new episode drops or there is other news. And you can also join our listener community. Details are in the show notes along with a range of further info about the things we've been discussing. We'd also love it if you could spread the word about the podcast among your friends and colleagues. Finally, you can rate and review us on your listening platform to help others find our podcast and listen to our episodes. And this this has been been the team from Outside the Screen. See you next week.